This is HPR episode 2228 entitled Linux.conf.0 2017. Russell Keith Maggie and is part of the series Interviews. It is hosted by Clinton Roy and is about 18 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is a wide-ranging interview with Russell Keith Maggie. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's the second day of linuxconf.au. We're at the coffee stall, so you'll hear some of those lovely sounds a little bit later on. It's quite early, so there's not too many people. Uh, Joining me here is Keith Russell McGee. Yeah, Russell Keith McGee. Russell Keith McGee. And if I had a dollar. Well, you know, I I, I join you and I I have sympathy. Um, uh, My name often gets twisted around, Uh thanks to a certain US president many years ago, Uh and I'm probably one of the few people at this conference is actually happy that another Clinton didn't get in because that that pain in my life is never going away um so so I mostly know you from from your Python uh stuff yes so what brings you to Linux Con for you mostly the Python stuff <laughs> uh, so yeah the the I'm, I'm giving a talk on uh Wednesday about essentially about the stuff that I've been doing in the Python community okay but it is uh, and, and broadly speaking, I would put that in a, um, I would say that you are building Python libraries and frameworks so that you can do um, cross-platform work. That's right, yes. Yeah. So getting getting Python, which is traditionally a desktop and server, laptop language, you know, system administration language, web server language, and getting it so that you can write native user interfaces for your iPhone, for your Android, for your set-top box, for your watch, for you know, with all these new devices we've got. The, the, well, everyone's got them in their pockets, but the official device ecosystem say, you must use Objective-C or you must use Java or yeah. whatever the language of choice happens to be for that platform. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, my interest is very much in the Python space. I want, I want to use Python everywhere, but the techniques that I've had to use to get Python working everywhere um, are not especially Python specific. Now, there's a lot of similarities between the way Python works and the way Ruby works, the way Python works, and most of the languages of, of that era work at one level. Obviously, your knowledge may vary, your language, you need to do it yourself, I'm not doing it for you, but there are, langu- there are lessons to be learned, and that's what I'm essentially talking about on Wednesday. Cool, cool. Um, so that's Wednesday, so that's that's not a mini conf. That's actually like one of the it's a full full, big, full production conference. Ex- yes, accepted uh, tracks. So uh, Linux Conf AU, we have three days of like a, a, the proper conference where all of the talks go through a paper committee. Yes, but Monday and Tuesday are what we call mini conferences, where um, they're more community run events. So uh, there's a I don't know. I don't want to say a lower bar, but the, the papers that come through um, on the mini conference they're selected by the community members much more than than the paper committee. Yeah. 
Um, so so the paper committee has a much higher bar to start with, that, and it's just yeah. a, it's it kind of a, an average good bar for yeah, the, the yeah. mini comps. And I think I think also the the more important thing with the mini comps is that the the audience for those talks might be really small, but that's totally but focused. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah and focused. it's very 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 domain focused. Uh, areas. I mean, if I remember rightly, PyCon got to start as a as a mini conf at one point. Um, quite, way, way, quite back. potentially, yeah. yeah. So, I so um, the, the the concept of mini conferences, uh, at least for, for LinuxConf AU, um, got started, I believe, in Brisbane, um, where I was a very minor helper in running the Brisbane conf. Um, my workmate at the time, Raymond Smith, sort of wrested control of Linux Confu away from the, the Sydney centre of the universe people. Yep. Um, and he um, made made Linux Confu work in Brisbane um, way back in 2001 or 2000. Um, and I have been attending and helping out ever since. <laughs> so, Sucker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, it's... it's um, so today I am attending the Open Hardware Minicon. So I will be spending probably three quarters of a day um, soldering up one of the uh, electronic kits that the local hackerspaces have put together. Um, I think, for memory, it's actually like a, a little games controller sort of thing. Um, so I'm not entirely sure, but it's one of the new SP boards. So okay. the, the little... The little chips that are taking over the world—they've got the—they've got the inbuilt wireless, and they've got all the features you could possibly want in a tiny, tiny footprint. Um, so yes, I'll, I'll probably spend half the day soldering that, and the quarter of the day soldering my hands. Mm-hmm. So, are there any particular talks or uh, topics that you're really looking forward to uh, during the mini conference today? Uh, today, I actually haven't had that much of a look at the program yet. I, I think I'm probably going to hang out in the community leadership summit for a little bit, uh, right? Because yep. I, yep. I spend a lot of time in yep. the Django community, and, uh, and also now there's an emerging beware community. Um, so that's a, a topic of some interest. Um, yep. I spent yesterday camped out in Woodcock, which was the Women in Open Open, open Technologies, yep. which was amazing. Um, Chris Neugebauer gave an amazing introduction when he said it was a series of, in, of amazing talks that just happened to be all given by women. Cool. And you know, when you've got someone talking about how to use knitting to write Turing complete machines yes. and whatnot, it was yes. it was something to behold. And the history of lock picking was incredible. And, cool. And on and on and on. So yeah, um, I think. I think my only disappointment so far, and it, it's something that happens quite often, is that the mini comps don't line up their schedules. Yes, yeah, and that it does. means that it's very hard to cross between the between streams. The stream, yes. Um, now, having having organised a couple of conferences that had mini conferences, this was the getting the mini conf organisers to, to line their schedules up was the bane of my existence two years running. Yep, so yep. I think I think Chris has taken the one approach and just said said bugger it, we'll just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I, I can totally understand that. But there's yeah. a lot of good content there, and I think um, like bearing, barring any um, uh, cataclysmic events, everything will be recorded and we'll yeah. be able to go, yeah, and, go and see it. But in the main conference, um, I know uh, my well co-collaborator, um, partner in crime, uh, Katie McLaughlin, is giving a talk about uh, JavaScript and how it's not quite so awful as everyone says it is. Yes. Which which it fits in very well with some of the stuff that we're doing, like we're in Beware, but it's also just a, a sort of a healthy reminder that you know, this is a language, it's not like 
And it's everywhere. It is everywhere. So we it behooves you to, to know it, and it's getting a lot better. There's a lot of a lot of the the, the bad memories you have of JavaScript ten years ago are starting to get knocked off. So and we just kind of have to suck it up because it's yeah. it's one of those things like um, it's it's one of those things that when you're dealing with computers and you've already installed the stuff, you kind of forget how hard it is to install stuff. So, like, one of the things that I do is software carpentry, yep. where we're teaching researchers how to use computing to get their work done better, yep. more efficiently, more reproducible. Yep. And you spend half a day installing stuff on their computers, and it's Mac, it's Windows, it's Linux, it's, it's a whole range of things. Yep. Some of them are lockdown type. Yep. And installing this stuff is a nightmare. Yeah. Here we've got a language that is already everywhere. Yeah. It would be silly not to try and uh, yep. take a look at it. Yeah. Um, what, one of the keynotes that I thought that um, that was sort of right up your alley, um, I'm, I'm, I'm completely forgetting her name. I want to say it's Nadia. Nadia Iqbal, yes. Um, so she wrote an e-book uh, or a, a book a little while ago, uh, Roads and Bridges. Yes. Uh, talking about the um, personal cost of open source that businesses have been able to um, outsource. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of uh, uh, corporate entities that have built their entire megaliths based on top of uh, open source software, and they're not giving back. Yes. And I know that this is a particular uh, drum that you have beaten over Indeed. the past few yep. years. And I, I spoke to Nadia when she was preparing that report. So the, the report actually wasn't just a straight-off book. It was a, uh, a commissioned report from the Ford Foundation in the United States, one of the, one of the largest philanthropic organisations uh, in the world, for that matter. Fairly you know, significant endowment, and it's like that Ford, you know, the Fords. Yep, yep. Um, and they, they have money that they need to spend in order to maintain their philanthropic status, and, and they're looking for ways to make a big impact. And she managed to get into the ear of uh, one of them to sort of suggest the idea that there is this ecosystem of stuff out there that is literally keeping the lights on um, that no one's paying for. And you know, it's, it's a recurring story to hear that founder gives up, burns out, table flips because they've just been had the pressures of the day job they had to do to actually put food on the table for their family, and the the pressures of an entire community telling them what they have to do. And I saw that with Django. Uh, we've gone through a series of Django committers who kind of do an amazing amount of work and then flame out because they've they've just spent too much time working on that and haven't seen any real reward whilst simultaneously an entire industry in Silicon Valley is raising multi-billion dollar valuations um, in- Instagram which, I want to say sorry was it Instagram? Instagram Instagram is an interesting story because they have now woken up and decided that they're going to contribute so as of as of last year they are now contributing but you know yes it's a good example they were a, a one billion dollar valuation based entirely in Django that until last year had not contributed anything to the to the maintenance of the tool that was underpinning their entire organisation. Yep. Now, okay, that was the price we signed up for when we said it was going to be open sourced. But you now, there's the difference between the you know, literally the price tag is zero, but that doesn't mean it costs nothing. And yep. that, you know, if you there's kind of a, a community attitude that that we as as the open source community have embraced, but business hasn't worked out a way to frame that in a way that works on their balance sheet yet. Yeah, and, and, and there's different sort of ways of looking at this. Like, if we if we look at it from, from the green movement side of things, there's environmental costs to everything that we're doing. Nobody's paying. Yes. We're all going to be paying in the next 20 or 30 years. Yeah. Um, if we have a look at projects like OpenSSL that 
had very little um, uh, support. Like it didn't like I, a main, it didn't have a maintenance didn't team. Didn't have a maintenance yet. team at all. And it hit the roof. Yep. And all of a sudden, all the companies around the world, it's like, oh, we use this open SSL thing. Everyone uses this open SSL thing. Nobody's paying for it. Yep. Um, so well, it, would be, it would be nice if it didn't take a catast- cataclysmic event like Heartbleed yeah. for everybody to wake up and realize it was not just open SSL, it's also the web frameworks and the languages and the yeah. tools and the libraries yeah. and everything else. So. And, and there's, there's sort of different costs. Like there's, there's, a, there's an infrastructure cost where you have to maintain these things to keep them up at a certain level of quality. There's a personal cost where someone has a day job and they have a night job and maybe they have a family and you've got to apportion these things out. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of these discussions and it, it's it's really interesting, like, like LinuxConf AU, where, you know, we're kind of... Um, we're at the arse end of the world, as one of our politicians has previously said, so yep. I, I feel that I'm okay swearing. If, if a politician has said it, if one of our prime ministers has said it, I feel totally okay using that vernacular. Um, so we, we have a very sort of strong community focus, and yet these things that are causing um, friction and fractures inside of our community at a very individual level, we still haven't come to, to, to grapple with that. Like the the Linux Australia uh, Council, for example, we, we don't... I, I say we, I'm not on the council, but I, I have previously been on the council. We don't really have a stance on this. This is not something that yeah. we have um, uh, turned from a sort of soft, squishy thing into a hard, concrete problem yeah. that we've looked at. Yeah, and the thing that's interesting is that from the other side of it, I mean, I, I've, I've got some exposure to it from, from uh, talking to people in you know, my context of discussions I've been having, is that, yeah, sure, there are other companies out there that just want to you know, take every, every red cent they can get that everything isn't nailed down, but the vast majority of companies out there want to be ethical. There just isn't a framework in which they can be ethical. You know, they, they uh, talking with uh, Jacob Kaplamos back when he was working at Heroku, it was like, yes, I, I very much, he said, was saying that I very much want to donate large amounts of money, but I have to justify every line item in my budget. Yep. And if I can, like, I can't just pay for a support contract unless I'm yeah. getting something. Yeah, yeah. You need to give me something. Yep. Now, what that something is, is a little bit nebulous when it gets to something like open source because, well, at the end of the day, the patches are coming for free, the software's coming for free, the support is coming basically from the community. And yeah, there is always that thing of, oh, you can sell, you can sell support, you can sell consulting, but if you don't need it, you can't buy it. Yeah. So you can't just buy something that you could get for free. We haven't got the accounting language that lets engineering spend that money. And mm. so it ends up being an advertising and marketing Yeah. Part of Nadia's report was looking at it as, okay, can we can we treat this a different way? Can we look at this as a philanthropic thing yep. and go after the philanthropic money to say, okay, well, would you, the Ford Foundation, like to be known as the person who keeps the internet's lights on and, yep. and attach yourself to that? And you know, what, how do you reframe the discussion of the, the value offering um, to make it appealing to philanthropic organisations. Yep, yep, yep. And it's it's that sort of thing like um, like Linux Australia has a, a fair chunk of change in in the bank, and we use that upfront to cover fees for conferences. So like if we need to, to book a if we need to book a conference hotel, they'll have a reserve limit, and, and Linux Australia will cover that. And it means that. No one organising any of our conferences ever have to go in debt personally. Yep. So there's a whole layer of 
angst that is uh, removed. Yeah, and and having you know having having that that body of, of money there that you can call on should you need it. It's a very different thing from having a uh, uh, a monthly paycheck come yes. in. Yeah, and and having. Having that knowledge that some large organisation has your back should you need it um, is is what being a community is all about. Yeah, and, and oh, absolutely. Having, having having that sort of network of, of friends. Yeah, and I mean, for myself, for the longest time, it has been much easier just to say if there's something there that we're doing for money. Um, I will just do it for free. Yeah. Because as soon as you get money involved, things get Messy very and, complicated. Yeah. Um, but like you, you have it, you have a, a really good point there, where it's actually it's it's actually really hard for companies to work out how to do all this stuff because there's no organisation that they can just send an invoice to and and, and give some money to. Yeah. Um, everyone's everyone does these things differently. There's there's tip jars and there's Patreon accounts and there's uh, you know, a thousand different uh, corporate structures that get set up for each of the projects. So there's the, the Apache group, there's the Django group, there's this group, there's that group. Um, there's no, you know, worldwide open source um, comfort group that you can just send a check to yeah. every, every 12 months yeah. and know that it, the money will be apportioned out places. Yeah. appropriately. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. And the the... The burn brightly and then crash and burn thing is something something that I've seen in one of the projects that I'm sort of peripherally involved with, yeah. the, the hypothesis uh, property oh, testing yes. library. Yeah, indeed. Um, and it's taken a long time, but it's it's a Python project, and he's actually found a source of money through doing like a Java port of that uh, that project. It's one of the one of the ways that he's bringing in money. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of these things where there's a lot of different ways of um, getting like there's a lot of value in open source and there's a, a lot of there's a myriad of number of ways of uh, monetizing that value but when you're one person and you're having to monetize in 16 different ways yeah like support or training whilst also developing the software that enables you to raise some money it's yeah. it's you know you, you go from juggling uh, a home life a work life and a personal life to to juggling like a small business yeah and it's it's, yeah. it's nuts yeah, it's 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 one of these things that we really have to get on top of Indeed. at a certain point in time. Well, I, I feel I've taken up enough of your morning, so uh, thank you very much. My absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, the big silver microphone will be here throughout the rest of the conference. So if you uh, want to sit down and have another chat, just just feel free. Filled to with me. an urge to speak at length. <laughs> All right, thank you very much. No worries. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. 
unless otherwise stated. Today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.